Recapping week five, Mike Sander will help us do that as well. I've got my college football top 12 poll and life advice. Enjoy. It's the Ryan Russillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older. 18 plus in DC and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler or visit rg help.com. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Week five, almost in the books. So some observations and potential regrets. Okay, let's start with uh, your Super Bowl participants from last year. They are two and three Cincinnati, who would be a 13 seed today in the AFC. That's not going to cut it. Uh, and the Rams, who are two and three, they would be an eighth seed. Let's look at some offensive stats. Uh, the Cincinnati Bengals are second to last in yards per play on offense. Burrow's been sacked 18 times and an O-line that was completely revamped. Yeah, I guess you could argue it's improved a little bit from the very beginning of the season, but it hasn't felt like that. Uh, where on the other side, you have the Rams, who are right behind Cincinnati in yards per play. They're last in the NFL. Stafford's been sacked the second most time, I believe, of any quarterback, 21 times, and he's tied for the most interceptions. So Stafford's falling apart. They can't protect him. Burrow's not as bad as Stafford is, uh, but the O-line is still an issue. And if you look at last night's game, like that was important for both teams. That was a really important game for both teams. So if you're Cincinnati, you're like, okay, we got one at Baltimore. They're good. Maybe they're not great because they're still not sure what to make a Baltimore more so because of the defense and how bad it's looked at times this season. Although I thought they looked pretty good last night, but I'm also guilty of thinking that everybody on the Ravens is awesome on defense when they wear the all-black uniforms. So I'm like, man, look at all these dudes out there. Uh, and it could be because of the uniforms. But Cincinnati drives down, Burrow in for the touchdown, 17-16. You're thinking, man, this is going to be quite a win uh, because Baltimore's defense had done a really good job against Cincinnati most of the night. Limiting chase, which seems to be the number one thing everybody's trying to do, more so because maybe there's more chase awareness. You know, you just start looking at how he's covered, and it's kind of like a zone to chase all in itself, even though uh, when Cincinnati's healthy, you like the rest of their guys. But look, the Rams can't run the football. So kind of looking at both teams going, well, who's in a worse spot of the two teams that played in Super Bowl? And you're like, well, I would say there's still more things I probably like about Cincinnati. I still can't believe the Rams are going to be this bad. We're going to have Sando on, like we mentioned. And if you look at McVay, who's just under 100 games as a head coach, like the, the like five or five of the worst eight or nine in the entire time that he's been with the Rams have been this season. So maybe the default, the tiebreaker in this one for who's in the worst spot would be the Rams win it just because they're in the NFC and not the AFC. 
Uh, but that was a big loss last night for Cincinnati. And I think at the other side of it, it was a big win for Baltimore, where Lamar has been so good this season, wasn't super clean last night, missed a couple throws. The pick was bad. The missed touchdown was bad. I think they did something where they, I had to figure out how the stats work, but they said it was like a 65% completion percentage on their next-gen stats of the touchdown they missed the right, right side. I don't know. That seemed like way too low to me. Um, but then he has the huge run, sets up Tucker for the field goal. So I almost feel like in a weird way, because Lamar had been uncharacteristically bad based on who we've seen this season, that him being bad and then finding a way to win with his legs at the end in the field goal, like that was something that they needed uh, because Baltimore hasn't been winning many close games either. So it really kind of comes back to these, these lessons where the week one lesson for Buffalo against Los Angeles was Buffalo's going to get pressure with their front four. This is incredible. Allen's awesome. Okay, no problem. They smashed the Rams. But you know what? The Rams the Rams just weren't that good. It's not that big of a deal. It's just one game, and all of us love Buffalo. Well, no, the lesson in that is that the Rams can't, can't seem to figure out this whole line and it's making Stafford worse. And if you look at it, at this point, the Rams are giving their quarterback the least amount of time to throw, although Cincinnati's in a weird spot with that too. Uh, the positive for Cincinnati, you could say three losses by three points, three points, and two points. But the wins are versus Joe Flacco and then Tua being replaced by Teddy Bridgewater. So major concerns for both of those teams. All right, we keep it moving here. Uh, the NFC East, I won't point this season, said if it was a product, I would return it. You know what I would do? I'd probably order it again now. Uh, I'm taking them off the ban list. It was very short-lived. It's not super professional, I would also add. But I was just so sick of all those Sunday night games where I'd be like, these games are awful. And we had a bad one this year early on with Dallas and the Giants. But Philly beats Arizona. Philly right now is eighth on offense and yards per play, number three on defense and yards per play allowed. Uh, their defense is just really good and hurts is at another level. So you have to be watching Philadelphia all the time. Uh, that win against Arizona, another weird Arizona game where they can't score any points in the first half. Uh, I'm going to say something that I may regret about Kyler Murray, but we'll see. Uh, he slides short of the sticks, which, you know, I get it. He's a quarterback. He's trying to go down. So it's third and one, but at 22 seconds left, he gets up and the clock was running and he spikes it instead of trying to figure out a way to maybe just run a play there. Uh, I don't like spiking it as much as people do spike it. I just don't like it. I think it's a waste of a play. And in that case, I thought it was terrible. So now it's fourth down and you have to bring out your field goal kicker who was picked up off waivers. He misses the 43-yarder and Philly stays undefeated and Arizona continues to just look like one of the most frustrating squads in the entire league. All right. So if you're looking at the NFC East, that's the Philly story with a little Arizona sprinkled in there. Uh, New York is 19th in yards per play offensively, you're like, well, that's not that great. Yeah, well, the problem is, is last year they were 31st. So Dable's made this team just more, uh, I, I'm trying to think of the right word. I don't know if the Giants are good. I don't know if Daniel Jones is good, but the fact we're even asking the question now this many years in for Jones is an improvement off of where I'm like, this guy isn't any good. Uh, he has only three passing touchdowns in five games. That's usually not a great sign. He has run two in. Um, but he's been just a little bit better with the football. The wins in the beginning, you're like, all right, Tennessee, Carolina, who fired their coach today, Matt Rule, Chicago, who's awful. Uh, but then you beat Green Bay, and I guess you could put other qualifiers on over London. It just feels like, you know what I should have said? The word is competent. They're just more competent than they've been in a long time. And whether that's Dable and improved Jones, uh, that's great. That's great because... I don't know that Jones is the answer, and sometimes we can just look at wins and think the quarterback's doing all of it when it's really just not true at all. 
Uh, I don't, again, I don't know that you would, you would uh, survive at this touchdown to game rate that we have with Jones at this point, but just a little bit more competent and a win against the Green Bay team that I think is still one of the top tier teams in the NFC, which again, I could be wrong about that. Like that's the kind of winner. I'm like, okay, this isn't just the schedule because we are at that point of the season with the NFL where there's plenty of teams where you're like, okay, but who do they beat? Is it the Jets have only beaten backups and then, you know, they have their guy back in, in Zach Wilson. But I mean, Miami was on its third string quarterback there. So you can find little records. We'll, we'll five weeks from now, we'll be at week 10 going, oh, what happened to that team? Oh, they got a lot better. Oh, no, they got a lot worse. You're like, yeah, but it could have been a completely misleading start just based on the opposition. And now let's talk and stay in the NFC East with Dallas. Uh, it's a perfect Dallas season and storyline playing out because even when it's good, they can't help but have something that leads to a bigger topic, and that is this Cooper Rush, Dak Prescott thing. Uh, Phil Sims fired off a scorcher when Cooper was stepping in for Dak, saying he's just as good, if not better. Suri, see if we can find that one again, because I, I think it was, I think it was like he was saying it was close, but basically hinting that he thought Cooper was better. Uh, so Dallas is now four and one, wins against Cincinnati, the Giants, Washington. Uh, by the way. Speaking of Washington, Wentz with the what's this button for play again to close out one for the commanders. Uh, and now the Rams. They haven't allowed 20 points in a game this season. Their defense is fifth in opponents yards per game, and they are the number three scoring defense behind, I think, San Francisco and Buffalo. This defense is awesome. That's what it is. Cooper Rush has been nice. OK, uh, he's, he's kept his side of the game clean. He's only had to complete 25 passes the last two weeks combined, right? That doesn't happen a lot. <laughs> you're averaging 12.5 completions a week. You're probably not winning many games unless you're going to run the ball. And they actually run it better, I think, with Pollard and Zeke at this point. Uh, Pollard's been terrific for them. But it's an awesome defense. It's good balance. But it's going to be weird if Dak, when he comes back, it's not if, but when he comes back with this, this thumb injury that's affecting his grip, what if they lose a couple games? Is it going to turn into a classic Cowboys thing where it's actually not even accurate, right? This is not Cooper carrying this team every single week. Dak is the better quarterback, but even in, in a stretch of success for them over five weeks, you can't help but have it be a little Dallasy, or there'll be some kind of drama. A uh, couple last things. Things I think I might be wrong about, but I'm still not sure I'm wrong. So basically, just classic me. I'm thinking this. I don't really want to give in. Like, you think when Tua threw six touchdowns, you think this guy gave in? I think this guy went, come on. No, I was like, all right, we'll see. We'll see how this plays out. I can't believe Geno Smith has been this good. I mean, he is on fire for Seattle. They lost a close one yesterday. Uh, he, is, he is the number one QB rating, which at times can be a little misleading. He's number four in QBR. His completion percentage is number one in the NFL. This dude is averaging, he, excuse me, he's completing 75% of his passes, but he's averaging 8.3 yards per attempt. So sometimes you'll see a spike in a completion number for a quarterback, and you're like, okay, but how far is he actually throwing it on these attempts, right? And he is third behind Tua and Jalen Hurts in the yards per their attempt. So on top of that, uh, what else? What else? The 9-2 split touchdowns interceptions if you look at you know where he's been over his career again he hadn't played much lately at all um not that he was going to surpass russell wilson although denver russell wilson i hope it's a shoulder problem 
that would that would explain a lot because I still can't believe it's been this bad, which you touched on Friday. But yeah, you look back and it's just there's no comparison. Like this is the best he's ever been. And Seattle, a team that I thought was going to be one of the single worst teams in the league, uh, looks like kind of that Atlanta thing where you're like, hey, you know who's in a lot of games? Atlanta, which doesn't make a ton of sense. I think Seattle kind of fits that mold as well. Uh, the last one here, are the Pats good? I thought going into the last couple of weeks, I'm like, this team is so boring. The running backs are good. Interior linemen are good. I don't know about the tackles. I think I'm flirting with a Bailey Zappi's better than Mac Jones thing, but that might be just because I couldn't believe how many people were just convinced that Mac Jones was the guy. And since that didn't happen with Zappi, that I'm just playing out some weird fucked up role of like, hey, are you saying Zappi's better because you think it or because you want it to be true because people were so high on Mac Jones when you were a little bit more reserved about it? I wouldn't say I was anti. I just was like, eh, I don't know that everything's good here for the next 10 years. Um, because I still think there's some limitations with him. All of that's just talking out loud stuff, which may not mean anything. But to beat Detroit, who to this point had been a really good offense and hold them down the way they did and the way they're running the football, this kind of like old school football zag in comparison to everybody else, like it's been pretty impressive. Uh, I thought that was an impressive win, although Goff historically in his three games against Belichick, not great, Bob. We're doing college football rankings on Monday. Uh, and then we will do college football stories if we have an open that's bigger. Or maybe it'll be on a Wednesday. Uh, but I just want to do it on Monday because it just makes more sense. So here we go. Uh, the top two, or excuse me, the top, yeah, it's, it's different basically, um, where the AP has Georgia 1, Ohio State 2, Bama is 3. The coaches poll has Bama 1. <laughs> has Georgia 2, Ohio State 3. Um and then there's some Michigan holdover, too. The coaches just refuse to give up. The coaches will go benefit of the doubt with teams longer than anybody. There's parents that give up on their kids quicker than the coaches poll will give up on a name brand. So I have it different. Iowa House State won. They're crushing everyone. They are number one in offense and yards per play. They've got two running backs who are studs. You know, I feel like Henderson hasn't even gotten going yet. Uh, and Williams, you know, was terrific in that first week as well. They've got two number one receivers. Uh, C.J. Stroud's 24 touchdowns, three picks. He could have bigger stats. I don't even know if he's attempted over 30 passes in a game because they don't have to. Um, but I have Ohio State one. And yes, I don't believe the level of competition is necessarily the same, but I think it's so dominating. And I really am nitpicking with certain teams when you're up a little bit higher. Like you go, okay, well, this is being that Georgia and everybody else. I just thought that Georgia in those back-to-back weeks, although they did take care of Auburn uh, pretty easily. This is, I don't know, you know, I'm adding up all five weeks, all right? Bama, how is it that at the end of a game, so I've got Georgia 2, Bama 3, Texas A&M, in what felt like another storyline, where again, Calzada and what he did at home against Bama, like that was make-believe, touch from, touch from a, an angel for a night. Um, not that Haynes King was doing the exact same thing, but he is in because Max Johnson has been hurt. And I, every time I watch him run, I think he's going to get killed. Uh, but Bama's got four turnovers in this one, so minus three in the turnover game, two missed field goals. And next thing you know, a- A&M's trying to throw a game-winning touchdown into the end zone at Tuscaloosa on a Saturday night. And it's like the last game that's on, other than some of the Pac-12 stuff. And you're like, how is this about to happen? And how big is Jimbo Fisher's extension going to be? And how much is he going to talk shit all offseason, even though AM is a disappointment? 
uh, this year. Well, the throw doesn't even doesn't even have a chance really to to get there, and Bama hangs on. So Milrose in, and by the way, uh, Bryce Young was announced as a starter in the stadium, and then they were covering up him warming up in the tunnel, which seemed to be excessive on top of everything else. But look, it worked out. Bama won it, but with Milrow and the whole you know waiting on everything. It feels still like a coin flip between these teams, but I've just liked Ohio State from what I've seen more. I uh, love that we were on the Clemson thing early with this one, the back-to-back wins against ranked teams, and then, you know, whatever, 31-3 against BC. But this is where I've kind of had Clemson and having them ahead of Michigan. Uh, now I also have Tennessee ahead of Michigan. Uh, Tennessee is behind Michigan in both of the polls. That was a mess for LSU from the jump. They fumbled the kickoff. Uh, then they screw up again. They're down 10 nothing. Then they try to go for it on fourth down. Uh, the receivers had to have a meeting with the quarterback where Daniels apparently was like, let me, I want to meet with you guys and talk about it. And it's like, okay, whatever. Um, but Tennessee with, with Hooker is, is legitimate. Like he's, he's really good. Now it looks like on Tennessee's resume, which will be a tricky thing that'll be brought up later. I mean, if we're actually talking about now, we'll see what happens against Bama. They still have to play Bama in Georgia. Now, if they beat them, whatever, none of this will matter. Um, but right now, Tennessee is sitting there with three ranked wins. One is LSU, who probably shouldn't be ranked again. Um, but who knows? They're going to have opportunities to play against good teams. Florida, who won't be ranked again. And then the other one was Pitt, uh, who is now sitting at four and two, but third in the Coastal. All right. Number six, USC. You're wondering, hey, where's Michigan? I have no problem putting Michigan 7 behind Clemson, Tennessee, USC. I think I think it, that's the way it should go. Uh, they're still fourth in the coaches' poll, like I said, but the last two weeks, Iowa, Indiana, I know they pulled away from the Hoosiers a little bit more this week. Um, it's just not enough. This can sound like I'm contradicting myself a bit here, but I'm putting Penn State eighth, even though the Northwestern game was a little more challenging than you would have wanted out of a team that could potentially be in the playoff. Uh, and as we try to figure out where the Big Ten is, where it's the higher-end teams, they've got three of them, but the depth beyond that, what's more important? How many teams could you have make the playoff? How many teams do you feel like are a tough out on a Saturday? Um, but I'm not I'm not like flirting with putting Penn State up higher, so I'm penalizing Michigan behind these other teams, and this is kind of where I've had Penn State the whole time. Uh, number nine, Oklahoma State. Lucky to still be there. Texas Tech was giving it to him. Burton, the quarterback, got hit so hard that he couldn't really run anymore, and that changed who Tech was on offense in the second half and to close that game. Uh, very easily could have lost that one for the Cowboys, but I'll keep him there. UCLA, number 10. I think they're 11th in the AP. That sounds right to me. Uh, and then the head-to-head against Oregon, if I had to pick it, I'd probably pick UCLA, so that's where I have Oregon 11. And then 12, I have TCU, who is still undefeated. You're asking, where is Ole Miss? Um, it was a battle with Vandy. I know they're ninth in both polls. I don't think that's a top-12 team. We shall see. This episode is supported by State Farm. So look, a little rock. Hit your dude's windshield on the highway. And at first you're like, what is that? I'm like, oh, it's just a little mark. Nope. Now by the end of the ride, it's a big crack. And it had been a while. So I check out the State Farm app. I go, hey, this is what happened. And the funny thing is, is I was like, do I want to go app first or do I call old school guy? Probably should call. I was like, let's check out the app. Not only did it take a minute to get done, they set up the glass replacement. They told me the estimate ahead of time. Said, do you want to go ahead with it? And I was like, now I understand. It's all in front of me, all done. I don't even have to talk to anybody. That's how efficient 
the insurance game has become. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options, protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, just like I did, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to somebody. The app was so good, I didn't even need to do that. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. La Quinta by Wyndham has everything you need for your next business trip. From free high-speed Wi-Fi to fitness centers to free bright side breakfast with fresh waffles, eggs, and more, book direct at LQ.com. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Mike Sando, The Athletic, uh, one of my favorite guys when it comes to the NFL. Maybe in general, too. Maybe I shouldn't keep the <laughs> NFL qualifier there as well. Okay, so there's a bunch of stuff that you have in your pick six, some stuff that I went over in the open as well. Um, but I started with who's in a worse spot between our Super Bowl participants there. Uh, yeah. Two, two, and three teams, the LA Rams and Cincinnati. Arguments to be made for both sides. Maybe the AFC is the qualifier there that makes it that much harder for Cincinnati. But we have two teams that are, are really struggling on offense, struggling to protect their quarterbacks. And, yeah. uh, you know, there you go. Yeah, it may, the Rams may be ultimately a little better off this season. I think they're a team, and Randy Mueller and I discussed this on our podcast, The Football GM, which he thinks it's about the matchups. And I agree. I think when the Rams get the right matchup, they can be – uh, pretty good. They've played some really tough defenses. And I think so much of the fluctuation week to week in performance uh, is on who you play, especially if you're not just a great team. You know, Kansas City's probably going to play pretty good against everybody. But the Rams have some real deficiencies. They're not the team they were. I remind people, Rams fans get annoyed with it. But you know, these were two four seeds in the Super Bowl last year. They weren't the greatest teams. So there are some issues. I think I might rather be the Bengals for the longer term, you know, Burrow's younger. Uh, there's a window there. I feel like the Rams are more leveraged. They've been to the mountaintop and won it. Um, you know, so there's a little bit, a little bit of a different challenge with them. I think Stafford can't weather it as well as Burrow. They both get hit a lot and get hit hard. So, yeah, that's that's the other thing is you thought, okay, can you protect these guys? And it, it seems to get worse and worse for LA every single week when I'm looking at them. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I have to ask you about Geno Smith. I know I didn't expect to ask yeah. you about it this soon, but I am fairly shocked that this is not who I'm he's sure. ever been unless people thought that he was talented enough to eventually do this at some point. And a team that you say that I would agree with that we thought would probably be in that handful of worst franchise in the NFL this season. Uh, they're yeah. kind of in this tricky Atlanta category where you're like, do I have to show up to like, do I have to be ready to play Seattle every single yeah. week? So give me yeah. everything you've got on Seattle and Geno. Yeah. So here's the thing with Seattle. They're shockingly horrific on defense and they went to a different scheme this year, which is unusual for a defensive head coach, but they went to the Fangio scheme and these guys are thinking they're not playing. And so they have some nice, uh, interesting, young, talented pieces like a corner. They've got some guys making some pick sixes, getting the ball out. Uh, I think they have a good linebacker. They really were building this thing this year around uh, Jamal Adams. People will laugh because Jamal Adams had a couple bad years, but he needed, he was going to be their will linebacker and they built the defense around him. So he's out and then everyone else is thinking with this new scheme and it is terrible. They made Taysom Hill look like the, like the, the greatest player in league history that he's just running off the side for 50 yards. I mean, Pete Carroll after the game was like, what the hell? Now that's a little bit of a surprise. The bigger surprise is offensively, they're better with Geno Smith. And I don't mean they're better than they were when Russell Wilson was at his best a few years ago, but here's the deal. They are running the offense now. I think one of the things we're learning about Russell Wilson's time in Seattle and what's happening with him in Denver is 
that he wasn't really running the coordinator's offense. He was running his own offense. And he was so great at it because he could turn his back to the play, flip around and find somebody 50 yards down the field. He was never that slice and dice, uh, short and intermediate passer in the flow of the offense off his back foot. It was never that guy. But he was spectacular. Well, now that he's not as spectacular and he's trying to be Tom Brady and, and stand in the pocket, that's not him. He's not a guy who's deciphering the defense expertly. Gino is better at those things. Gino is running the offense. Now, he's been way more accurate, poised, uh, in command than I ever thought he was going to be. He, we didn't see this even when he started last year. But I have to give him a lot of credit because he was obviously talented. He came out, was a high pick. And he maybe he hung around long enough to mature and actually get to watch and get to learn and know the game. I mean, he looks like a quarterback. This does not they asked me on the CX pregame show, like, is is this any of this sustainable? And I'm like, I think there's some good fundamentals here. Like, if you watch him throw the ball, he's accurate. Coming into the game, he was 47 of 53 on first down. You think that's good? Well, it's unbelievable. I, I yeah. mean, on third down, he was really high, too. Now, they had a tough game on third down uh, against the Saints. But shoot, their young tackles, they put up 32 points and had multiple scores taken off the board with a penalty here, things that, you know, could have gone either way. I mean, they're putting up some numbers here, and I, I don't – I think Geno's pretty good. It's been incredible so far in the, in the Russ stuff, too, in comparison. Like, you just yeah. would have – I mean – who would have ever said, I actually think they'll be better with Geno Smith after Russell Wilson moves on. Um, but I still can't believe Russell Wilson's been this bad. So hopefully the shoulder thing, oh. as I mentioned before, uh, gives us a little bit more indication. Okay. So you spent a great deal on the Chargers and Browns in the Brandon Staley <laughs> decision. Yeah. Uh, they go for it in their own territory up only two, which I think is the key part there. And it's fourth in one, but maybe not. So that led to a bunch of the different models essentially disagreeing with each other, I think is probably the yeah. best way to explain a decision by Staley where it's like, man, if this doesn't work out and it didn't work out, but they still won the football game where you're basically saying you're 10 yards away from losing this thing. I, I don't know. That one was that one was weird. Um, and I'm still not sure I'm convinced what the right call was because all the yeah. different math on it seems to yeah. contradict each other. And the NGS one was pretty interesting because they actually know the exact distance of the first down. So they're like, hey, it's 1.7 yards. That's a huge thing in football. Like fourth and an inch is obviously different than fourth and one and a half, right? They can both be listed as fourth and one. So I just didn't see the... I saw more of a downside uh, if you miss because they're in your they're in plus territory. They're almost in field goal range if you miss if you don't get it. And I feel like a fourth and one, almost two. I mean, what are we? That's easily in a, in a game could be a 50-50 thing where you get it right. I mean, it's not like a seventy five percent. Maybe it's sixty percent. But I felt like if you punted, I mean, then Jacoby Brissett not only has to move them a bunch through the pass game without any timeouts, but then they have to make the field goal on top of it, which could be even longer than where they're going to be now. You know, I thought there was tremendous downside in not getting it. And to me, the upside, yes, the upside of getting it is a hundred percent win, but I felt like it's a really high percent win if you punt too, because Jacoby Brissett with no timeouts having to go that far and make the kick. Um, I don't think so. So I, I thought this was one that really could have backfilled. I mean, I'm sort of with Keenan Allen, who was tweeting like, WTF we doing here, you know? And I was like, yeah, 
I agree. And I'm not one of those guys who thinks they should just punt all the time, but I just didn't see it on this one. Yeah, asking Brissett to go the length of the field, I think is kind of where the Staley argument falls apart a little bit there. Um, I'll ask you ask you this. I don't know if it's that different between an inch and a yard and a half, just because I think the process of of hiking the football and then the quarter like like I know what the math says on distance, and I'm not supposed to refute this, but I wonder yeah. like where the ball is actually in relation to the first down marker after your center hikes it to your quarterback anyway. Like I would imagine that ends up kind of becoming close where the models are suggesting it's this massive difference, and that's why the projections were so off. Or not well, off, yeah. but just... Only the NGS model does that because they have the chip, right? They they know where the ball is, or they have the tracking. Not the, the, yeah, they have the tracking on it. Yeah. Um, like I would say this, like one of the, I think it is a significant deal. Now, like if you're, think of the Staley decision last year against the Raiders. Remember when they went for it on their own 20-something, right? Didn't they, they, they went for it from way backed up or on their own side of the field. Uh, that was a fourth and a very long one. Like no one talked about that. But to me, that's a, you're running it you're running it that's a big difference like you if it's fourth and 1.7 you're not going to sneak it right probably i mean if it's fourth and an inch you might just hold it out there and you got it so i do think there's a difference i think it's at least worth mentioning you could be right that if you're going to do a pass play you know maybe it's not as as big of a difference and that's what they were going to do in that area but if it's fourth and an inch maybe they don't pass it maybe the run game is open for them what is fair about how good the nfc east is because yeah. it's so far, it's great, and I, yeah. you know, this is a division that I've I've had a hard time with for a long time. So yeah, obviously Washington's not good. Uh, I would say that uh, I would say that Philly is a legitimately good team that you could see advancing in the playoffs. I think Dallas is a very good team on defense, and if over the course of the season they grow their offense with Dak's return, but don't go too far. There's got to be a balance between what they're doing now, which is extreme heavy run. And what they've kind of sometimes veered toward a little bit or wanted to do with Dak, which is, hey, we got this $40 million quarterback, let's throw the ball. I think there's a there's a medium between there. If they can get a little bit more horsepower on offense and keep this defense, which everyone said was going to fall off because they were too turnover reliant, but it hasn't fallen off, then I think they can advance too. I, I think that that's legitimate. Now, I think the Giants are just doing great for what we thought they were going to be. And I think they would even know they're not in the same category. They're not a team to me that's going to be, have, would have any chance to win a playoff game. I mean, they're trying to beat the Bears, you know, and holding on for dear life. And they're, what they are is a team that's not losing the game and they're a competent operation and they haven't been that. So that's how, if you hang around, make good decisions, play smart, play tough, um, you're going to be in games and they've, been in games and won them. And that's a huge mark of progress. But the idea that the Giants are for real in the way that Philly or possibly Dallas are, to me, is not true at all. Who would you rather have, Philly's defense or Dallas? Uh, probably Dallas. Um, I just, I think having Micah Parsons is a huge um, component of that. I, I don't know if there's an equivalent player at that age, at that type of position, almost in the league. So, um, you know, I'm sure there's a defensive coordinator who would disagree with me or someone could explain why they would do it another way. I love that high-end <laughs> talent like that. Okay, how about offense, Philly or Dallas? Uh, Philly. I, I would do Philly. I think, uh, you know, the more that... I've always loved Jalen Hurts' approach. I think he's a serious professional who's accountable. And I love that about him, but, like, he's really 
growing as a player too and as a passer. Doesn't always happen. So I feel really good about him. I think offensively, um, I love their coaches. Uh, I feel like they have a real coherent plan defensively, offensively that they can change. So take last year. The first six games of the year, I think they were one of the most pass-heavy teams in the league. They realized that's not us. They turned on a dime, became a totally different team, and got to the playoffs. I don't know that through the channels of Mike McCarthy and uh, you know the quarterback and the Kellen Moore, the coordinator, that it's quite as um, coherent or proven offensively for them. And we have to see what Dak's going to do when he gets back to it. Can he stay in the lineup? Is, is he suddenly going to have some injuries? What's up? I want to talk about Kyler real quick, Mike, and his contract. And this is the thing that I was alluding to in the, in the beginning of the open. I think the Deshaun Watson contract is a complete outlier. Uh, I don't know, whatever. Do you think the Kyler deal can end up looking like the worst deal? I think that one and the Wilson deal, Russell Wilson deal, are two for sure. I mean, I, I think with Russell Wilson, we've probably seen the best of them. I, I don't, I don't think he's be better than he's been. Kyler, I think, is still early enough um, that you know you have a a chance more to grow and achieve your potential. Um, those things that came out about him and the preparation and all of that that was tried to be sort of swept away that is concerning. And I think to really go next level and earn that contract, you have to grow as a quarterback and, and know those situations. It's not just go out there and, you know, uh, make some spectacular plays, which he certainly can do because he's talented. I think he's got to become more of the CEO and grow into that role. And he's young. I don't fault him that he got the money, you know, sure. <laughs> if he right, gave me yeah. that money at that age, <laughs> he gave that money to me right now. <laughs> I don't know if I'd be as mature as Kyler is. So I'm not holding it against him, but I think, you do take for granted sometimes with the top quarterbacks. They really can manage a game. And I think we've seen Russell Wilson isn't great at that, even for playing for 10 years. And Kyler Murray, after a few a few years, is is bad at it. You know, I think that's a that's a bad situation that you would never see happen with somebody you're hopefully you're paying that much who's hopefully earned it with a little bit more time on task and and you know can you can put it in their hands a little bit more, even for basic game management things. Matt Rule, speaking of making money and walking yeah. away, what went wrong in Carolina? Uh, well, I do think that quarterback is such a big part of the equation and they got it wrong. So I would say they got the quarterback and the head coach wrong, but I think you can win as a head coach if you're better at that position. So I think their inability uh, to get that right certainly um, is part of it. And you know the, the hires offensively, weren't able to overcome that, and it got a little bit desperate in the end. Um, beyond that, I mean, I don't know if I want to paint too broadly, but uh, I think you do have to evaluate some of these guys that are, you know, coming from different ranks too, and see college ranks, and see, you know, is that is that the best way to know exactly what you're doing um, in the league? Being in the league doesn't guarantee it is. I mean, look at Nathaniel Hackett; he's been in the league, but I think. There's probably a level of vetting there that um, goes a little bit beyond. You brought this up when you talked about Dable, though, and that was just kind of having a plan, like knowing who you yeah. are and then having a plan. It almost felt like you were writing that, that that's actually more rare than than people realize. Like, is it like what's the kind of stuff that you hear about coaches where you go, 
Maybe you don't have to name the coach, but can you share a story about a situation where it would probably shock a lot of us that a team could be that org- unorganized as an NFL staff? Oh, yeah. So I do think that there are t- things that go- happen in games that we don't even know about that are that are like the plane almost crashed during the game, you know, that we don't even know how seat of the pants that it could be. If we could be on those headsets and hear the disorganization and the yelling that that I know goes on sometimes, um, you would be surprised. It's interesting. If you had if you had told me to give me a homework assignment and I had to think of that overnight, I'm sure I could think of one uh, exact situation like that where something was completely bungled. I'm just trying to think um, where that would have been. Um, oh, well, here's one that no one talked about this year. Watch the end of Atlanta's game against the Saints when they lost the game, Atlanta did. There were literally like five or six things late in the game that are like cardinal rules being broken about how to close out a game. From the quarterback holding the ball way out to um, different things I think they did with the clock down the stretch. No one even talked about it. I don't even know that anyone even talked about it. It wasn't a big Nathaniel Hackett blow-up thing. But I know people in the league were like, wow, did you see what happened? Uh, We're showing our team this type of a thing. And that's not to pick on Atlanta because I'm sure there's five other ones. There's probably three this week that we're not mentioning. But I think some of those go by the boards uh, where if you really broke them down, you could really question and wonder, what the heck are are they doing here? And that was just one that I remember hearing about this year that no one even really talked about. Yeah, with rule, you know, I don't know if it's just, all right, you know, you got to figure if you're a franchise going to Darnold and going to Baker. Um, you're not set up for success there. But, I mean, was it that rule? I just go, well, look what he's done at Temple. Look what he did at Baylor. He had, like, I, I just wonder if it's not the specifics, it's the broader stuff. And then somebody comes in and you're like, oh, wait, the specifics are all off here. And we just went with the yeah. fact that his resume has shown that he's won everywhere he went at a completely different level of competition. Sure. And, and you have an owner who hasn't done this before, who's a great expert in uh, you know, markets. <laughs> he's a billionaire. He's brilliant, probably in the financial realm, but probably uh, doesn't even know what he doesn't know about owning a team and how to do this type of stuff and how to hire. Then you bring in Matt Rule. Remember, they hired the GM off schedule. Scott Fitterer came in like a year later, didn't he? like a year later. So that is always problematic to me too. Like we're trying to have a vision. Maybe they gave too much to to rule early. Then they try to pull some of that back and you try to do a meld with a new guy in Scott Fitter who probably wants to do the best by his coach, but it's not exactly what he would do. And so you get a little bit in between of what is our plan and vision for the organization. I always think that's a challenge when those guys are hired off schedule without the hierarchy kind of being agreed to ahead of time. Sometimes the head coach has the power and the GM kind of, you know, like I live in Seattle area. Pete Carroll was hired. Then they brought in John Schneider. John Schneider does the draft. I mean, he's clearly does all the personnel stuff, but, but it's in Pete's vision. And that was established early on and they have a good rapport. I think when you come in and it's all Matt Rule and then we hire a GM, I, I feel like they were a little bit not doing what maybe either one of them would have fully done in the end and just ended up not having a good situation. From the piece this week, you know, off of the Giants winning that, and it's talking about the NFC East and, and Dable just being a little bit more prepped up. You've got the Packers, uh, where I felt like, okay, you know what, they're going to be fine. He's going to figure out Lazard um, and the other younger receiver. Like, I felt like, okay, these guys are starting to come along. But you, you've pointed out here um, that they're spending in that area. Like, there's some Packers stuff here that we should be aware of moving forward because this number was pretty surprising when I saw it. 
Well, yeah, there's a few numbers here. One is obviously Rogers did the full all in, get as much as you can contract. So he didn't do a deal that helps them have flexibility. So they're a little bit up against it. At the same time, Rogers, I think, does have some say over the personnel there. I think guys like Randall Cobb and Mercedes Lewis are on the team because they're buddies of Rogers and he trusts them. I'm not saying they're not good enough to be on a team, but they're the types of players you would probably move on from if you were a GM, right? You'd be trying to get younger guys come in. So right. they have this configuration with Rodgers making a ton of money. They've tried to do some things on defense and they've gone really cheap at the receiver position. And if you look, I did this. I took every team in the league. I took their highest average per year salary figure for a wide receiver or tight end. And so at the top, you're going to have the Dolphins at 30 million. Obviously, they did the deal with Tyreek Hill. You're going to have the Raiders at 28 million. And they did the deal with Devontae Adams. And you're going to go down with a bunch of these teams having 20 and 19 and 18. And at the very bottom is Green Bay at $4 million. Mercedes Lewis is their highest paid weapon. Isn't that amazing? Like yeah, that is Mercedes Lewis. And then again, people forgetting that he's even in the league anymore, but go ahead. But So look at the teams at the bottom. The three teams at the bottom in this realm are the Packers, the Bears, and the Colts. And the Packers have Rodgers, who's a magician, and they're going to like, they're not going to just be horrific and score eight points every week, right? But for somebody like Justin Fields or Matt Ryan at the stage of his career, like, I think they need more and need more dynamic things for their play callers, all of that. I think it really holds them back. And I think for the Packers, it holds them back. Like I said, they're not going to be horrific because they do have a run game. They have some other stuff and Rodgers is magic. But man, watching that game against the Giants, I just felt like there's, they need some receivers who are winning too. And not have everything be this precision back shoulder ball because the guy can't get separation you know and you think about a couple of times they had guys with separation the rookie dropped it in the first game for a 75 yard touchdown and then they dropped one in the end zone last week against the patriots too so i think they do need to get better at that and i'm not convinced they're going to grow out of it with who they've got they'll get Sammy watkins back but can they convince an obj or somebody to come in there to Green honestly Bay the winner when is people going to figure out the secrets out on sammy watkins i you know yeah. like yeah. what do you get when you get him back like okay you know, I agree. Like, I agree. But like I, w- with what they have, I would, I think he would help them. Yeah, that's <laughs> fair. about what they have. <laughs> no, that's, so. that's fair. But I just feel like Sammy Watkins, like every fan base that gets him, And then as soon as they get him, they're I like, know. Oh wait, like, and then it's, you know, it reminds me sometimes of the NBA lottery picks, you know, it's yeah. kind of the same thing. Like I have this, this theory that if you're a lottery pick, you always get a really good second chance somewhere else, right? Oh. Maybe the team, the team maybe even gets an asset for you. You know, Darko still got a first round pick. Yeah, uh, from Orlando, right? And the same thing happens with kind of these top, not every first round quarterback, but maybe the top first half where I went through it all and looked at like what Baker was trying to do. And I'm like, what Baker's trying to do is a guy that was the unquestioned starter, started this many games as a first round draft pick, moving on to his next team. And I went through 10 years of the draft. So I'm repeating myself for the audience here a little bit, but what Tannehill has done is the complete outlier. All the other guys that are first rounders that become a starter second place, it almost never works out. And you know, again, Sammy Watkins is a little different, but kind of that NBA lottery pick. Well, if somebody else picked him, but now he's done it like four times. And I'm surprised. Yeah. I'm surprised it keeps happening. But you're right. To your point of the Packers, they actually need him. They need him. I, I like your I like that conversation. Though. That is interesting because I think Tannehill got with a really good coach. I think my, my I think Vrabel's a great coach for like 
taking what we have and doing what works best. I think that's a key component. And it made me think of Geno Smith. That's an interesting angle really on like who can really revive as a quarterback who was bad in their first thing time. And I don't think Tannehill was horrible in Miami. You know, I think he was, they paid him, right? They gave him a sort of an okay contract, second contract there. He wasn't, he is seriously like Wentz to me, the 2021 Wentz will be one of the all-time like outlier stat lines. Cause if you look back at 2021 Wentz with the Colts, you'll think, wait, that guy was really good. And not only yeah. did they not want him around, um, those numbers overrated him a little bit. I think the Tannehill numbers are funny because when I looked at the Miami numbers when I did the exercise, I thought, wait, that was pretty good. And it's like, well, yeah, but that's not how any of us felt. And they were okay moving on from him. If you want to take that and do a bigger deep dive other than just my eye test for it. Yeah. But I mean, the only one I have, I did, it was 25 quarterbacks over 10 drafts that were all first rounders. Five were franchise changers. Five were total flameouts. And then another 15, you know, the Mark Sanchez of the world, these other guys that had a lot of starts the only one that I felt like you could make a real argument for him figuring it out with his next stop was Tannehill. Maybe you'll come up with a different yeah. conclusion. I think Winston was maybe on that path had he not been yeah, hurt. But I now, love it. yeah, right. But I mean, that was me being like trying to be as fair as I possibly could. Uh, but you'll see. You'll see what Baker tried to do is actually his results in Carolina are, are along with the norm. Like Tannehill's a complete outlier. Think how many times that Jeff George got a chance, right? He got got to come into yeah. camp because he had the golden arm. Uh, this is an interesting one. That's 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 a good one. And I think uh, Tannehill did it and had put up really great numbers, but it was within a scheme. But you know, but that's fine. I, I think you have to get the right coach. I think Geno Smith. Now we're going to watch and see. Hey, in week nine, is Geno Smith just grinding through and he's been solved? You know, or uh, is he a starting quarterback in the NFL? It'd be an awesome story if he is. Thanks as always, Mike. Appreciate it. Mike Sando, The Athletic. Thanks, Ryan. This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Looking for a better way to watch live TV? Stream your favorite sports and shows on over 95 live channels with Hulu Plus Live TV. Get access to Hulu's entire streaming library, Disney Plus and ESPN Plus, all in one plan. Start your free trial of Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. You want details? Fine. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Life advice, life advice, rr at gmail.com. Uh, we had a lot of people chiming in upset about the geographical footprint of Boston uh, and, and me suggesting Dorchester was Lowell. Uh, look, I don't actually think Dorchester's Lowell. I just think that even though it's technically Boston, I, I don't know. I guess when I lived there, we didn't think of like, hey, I lived in the same exact part of the city you do. Uh, so, you know, I know some people are upset about that. And that's what we expect. 617 keeps you sharp. Thank you involved how are you guys doing chilling you know another uh another week i don't know geographically boston i feel like most people though in those city situations like when they're like yeah i live in the city 
and then they live like, you know, 30 miles outside the city. It just depends on what city you're living. Like, I feel like people in New York City, you could live in Jersey City or Hoboken. People are like, oh, yeah, I live in the city. They don't tell you that they live in Jersey. And that's just like, people just let that fly. So I don't know. I if you live in Hoboken, they don't. You yeah. If you live in Hoboken, you don't live in the city. That's correct. But no. I would agree right. with you, but I think people would just say, oh, yeah, I live in the city. And you're like, well, no. But you can't even so. say New York, though. You can't even say New York. I'm out here. I've been <laughs> out here for fucking six years now. And people are like, oh, I'm from Montana. I'd be like, oh, I'm from New York. And they will be like, oh, what borough? I'm like, no, I'm from New York State. And like, oh, you can't say you're from New York. And I was like, fuck, you just told me you're from Montana. You didn't tell me you're from Billings or wherever the fuck. I don't know. It's just it's the thing that bothers me. Wow. Where it's just, it bothers me because I don't want to be like, oh, I'm from Poughkeepsie, New York. And I'm not necessarily from upstate New York either. I'm below the fucking Catskills. There's a whole other mountain range, the Adirondacks. I'm just, I'm tired of city people giving me shit. I'm from New York. Anyway, state. Wow. Nerve struck. Sorry. <laughs> He just did a whole thing where he's like, oh, Hoboken's are safe. I'm just trying to say I'm from the state and people give me a hard time. So um, whatever. Sorry about that. We get back on track here. Don't get it twisted with Kyle. Yeah. Not messing around this morning. Yeah. My my definition of like saying you live in the city of Boston, like I have my own perception of it. And if you live in Dorchester, you would say I live in Dorchester. Like if you're in the city, if you're talking to people like you when you go to college and you say, hey, where are you from? You say Boston. But again, like Sarudi's point, I had guys that were South Shore guys saying they were from Boston to other people. But I always wonder if that becomes a thing that you kind of like privately lean towards where you want, like you want the perception of you to be what, <laughs> right? Because like guys that lived in Greenwich, are like, oh, I'm a New York City guy. You're like, no, you're not. To like Kyle's point. <laughs> like I know Cos Cobb is a little bit rougher than Riverside, but it would be like, oh, I'm a city guy. It's like, no, you, you go to Greenwich High School. Like, what are, what are you talking about? Do you feel like uh, a fraud telling people that you live in L.A. when you live in Manhattan Beach? <laughs> <laughs> but I tell people like last, you know, I'm, I was uh, at my 25th reunion for college and, and people were asking me where I was. I don't say Manhattan Beach. I, sell, I say L.A. And if they ask me where, then I'll say Manhattan Beach. By the way, I'm not trying to claim, claim L.A. I'd rather I'd rather be known but the thing for me is like the last <laughs> other than the places i've lived when i have to introduce myself it's like two of the most pretentious possible places you could be although the vineyard gets way yeah. more shit than manhattan beach does <laughs> yeah. i know? love that you have to go through that when guys are on the like the pre-zoom they're like so where are you from you're like martha's vineyard they're like whoa and you're like yeah dude i know but not really like that's <laughs> i'm a year, full full timer so I, I would get less of a reaction if i said i was from dubai Totally. Yeah, totally. You guys see it all the time on the Zooms. The, the pre-Zoom just great. Right. Um, so, and I'm also sensitive too to, you know, anybody from Dorchester that's still super fucking mad about this, looking at my address in Manhattan Beach. Uh, I would say that you, uh, you know, everyone kind of has their own definition of it, but you could, you could say like, I get, you know, I get where it is, I guess, when you lived in the city. But then again, Brookline people were technically not supposed to say that they live in the city, even though it's fucking, it's right there. So whatever. Uh, shout out to Dorchester. How about that? Okay. Yeah. Here we go. Speaking of living on Comav, this uh, email reminds me of that. I think my friend fucked me over and I need to know how mad I should be. Hey, everyone. Big fan of the show. 5'11", 190. Look good in a t-shirt. Look bad shirtless. <laughs> Names of the email have been changed. I think my friend fucked me over and got my car towed. My friend Arnold invited me over to watch football. His roommate, John, who I'm also good friends with, was out of town visiting his girlfriend. So Arnold told me I could park in Jordan's designated parking spot. And Arnold provided me with a 24-hour parking pass. 
Arnold and I ended up going to a bar to meet up with friends. I leave my keys at Arnold's place. I tell him I'll just get Uber. I'll just Uber back to his place early in the morning because I don't want to mess with potentially driving home drunk. Credit to me. All right. Good. Responsible. Shout out. He agrees and says, no problem. I have a 24-hour pass after all. Right. So you're parking the night before. That means, okay, 24 hours. That means, Mm. you know, depending on how the night goes, um, you know, head on over. All right. So we go to the bar, meet up friends. Um, While I'm at the bar, the roommate, John, texts Arnold and tells him he's coming home earlier than originally expected. Arnold tells me that I need to move my car and give John a spot back. Yeah, come on. I essentially tell him that I'm in too deep. (laughs) That I recognize the plans have changed, but you can't spring. You need to move your car on me when we're multiple drinks deep. I tell him that I have to stick to the original plan. Oh, no. (laughs) Hey, no, no, no. Uh, We need to stick to the original plan. I like that. I'll wake up early and Uber over to pick up my car. That night, I went back to my apartment. He went back to his. Like I mentioned, my car keys are at his apartment. Arnold took my keys, went into my car, removed the 24-hour parking pass that he had given me, and I ended up getting towed. Am I completely in the wrong for being upset? No, you're not. You should be upset about this. I recognize in the court of law, he's in the right. It's his parking pass. I was parked on his property. I don't have much of a case, but in a court of friendship. Well said. Well said, my friend. In a court of friendship, I feel like he absolutely fucked me over. I feel like we definitely could have come up with an alternative solution. I'm not stressing over the tow bill. Yeah, it sucks, but it's whatever. I'm angry because I never would have done that to him if our roles reversed. I would have figured something out so my friend wasn't getting screwed over. I'm viewing our friendship much differently than I previously did because of this. Mm-hmm. I need to know if I'm overreacting or being dramatic. Thank you guys for reading. Writing out this email was a bit therapeutic. All right. Because I'm very irked. Yeah, you should be. Uh, this one sucks. Basically, okay, here's the deal. You you know what happened here. Like the other roommates, like, well, fuck it. It's my spot. It's my pass. Like he needs to move. But there are promises that were made that should have changed the rule from just my spot, my rules, beat it. Like they needed to figure out a way to make this all work because you weren't going to come over and move your car around and search for a parking spot after you'd been out for a while, which is what nobody would want to do. So the problem is, is that they're looking at it as like, well, we did you the favor but, you know, the favors can't just change magically out of nowhere. There had to have been some other solution where it's like, hey, all right, I'll leave your spot in there. I'm not going to go into your car, take out the pass. And now that you don't have the pass, you're going to get towed immediately. Like he knew that. So this guy is, is cool enough with that. Like that guy's a dick for doing that to you. Like he couldn't he couldn't find his own spot a little bit further away. And you know what? Be annoyed. Be annoyed. But, you know, this is one of those deals where I, I had a friend like this. Like he... Everything was on his fucking terms. Everything was on his terms all the time. Where you ate, where you went, who was invited, who wasn't invited. And it just gets fucking annoying because then you're like, wait, you just, everybody just has to do what you want to do all the time. So this one friend to actually go into your car, take out the pass. And I guess, like you said, in the court of law, he could argue, hey, it's my pass. You're not supposed to be in there. We asked you to move it, whatever. You, that guy was totally okay with knowing what he was doing was going to lead to your car getting towed when there had to have been other options, even though, you know, parking in a city is a disaster. Uh, there had to have been somebody, he could have parked in a garage and asked you to pay for the, the mm-hmm. parking. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's something that you would have signed off on that made a lot more sense than you probably bought being out 150 bucks for a towed car. So I think you have every right to be pissed and I would say something to him about it, but also ask yourself this, are you of the three guys like, there's always a hierarchy in all of this. Is it cooler that they get to hang out with you or is it cooler that you get to hang out with them? Because maybe they're treating you like the number three guy in this three-man rotation. 
are you the number one guy? I don't know, because I don't think the number one guy would get treated this way. No question. So yeah. that's, yeah, that's that's something else you kind of have to ask yourself. Or in this like, group, what's your you power like, ranking? Are you always asked for the parking spot guy? Which it doesn't sound like that, but if you're constantly nagging them and then like this guy's like, hey, the, 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 you know, the plans did change, but this guy's always in my spot, then I would be a little bit more sympathetic to the other side. But if it's just like a one-off thing, that guy's not your friend, dude. I guess that's what I would say. <laughs> that's No, you're right. It's, it's, a, it's a good point. Um, cause you know, we don't always get every side of the story here. Are you constantly asking for this? Was this like the last straw? You know, like I remember I went to the city to go stay with some friends and I lost a key, you know, I ended up staying somewhere else. I mean, this is a long, long time ago and I lost the key and I was like, all right, what do I need to do? I'm really sorry. And, uh, I thought I left it like near the thing I needed to leave it at. And they were like, no, he's like, one of the guys is so pissed at you. But the guy already hated me. The guy already hated me. And something that was a really simple fix, take the other spare that you have, get it copied. I'll give you 20 bucks. It was it was a huge, huge headache. And it, and it turned into all this stuff. And I was just like, all right, whatever. And again, you know, I'm not, I wasn't really friends with the guy before, but I was friends with the other roommate. I haven't talked to the other guy in fucking forever anyway. So, um, you know, shit like that happens. But it's a good point to bring up. Like, are you asking for a ton of stuff and their patience was thin and that's why they did this to you? Or are they just dicks? Because that's a dick move. Because it's you like, know, it's, go ahead. It, no, I was going to say, it, it's, I'm not accusing him of anything, but it's, it's like the guy at the gym last week who those two guys just like were pissed off at him and immediately snapped. And we were like, why, why did this happen when he took the phone call for 90 seconds? I, my mind always goes to like, usually people don't just snap like that or make these terrible rash decisions. Or in this case, your friend like basically willingly gets your car towed. Like they're, in my head, there's there always has to be something more here. I'm not being accusatory, but like I don't know, it just it just feels like there has to be something else. Otherwise, that guy's just a dick, and he's not your friend. Yeah, I think with like if you do somebody the favor, it's now your job as the favor giver to make it work for whoever else it's inconveniencing. So like what that guy should have did is moved his car instead of taking out the fucking taking out the keys that were, you know, left in good faith on the on the counter in this guy's apartment. He should have moved his own car and then let the other guy like park in the spot instead of being like, well, we both need to be parked here. And I know you're like out and about, but the plans changed. And I know it's totally unrealistic for you to, you know, to come back and get this. He should have inconvenienced himself because that's the shit you take on when you say somebody, yeah, it's okay. I got you for this. And then if, and if you're unable to handle that, you just don't give out that many favors. And you know, a big court courtroom block sort of TV guy, this thing would have held up in Judge Mathis, Judge Judy. This would have been <laughs> Judge Marilyn Millian. I mean, Judge Maybelline. All these people would have been like, no, you had a verbal contract basically saying when and where, you know, you were going to pick up this car and how long it was okay for. And then halfway through it, the one person basically changed the contract and now you're out money. I think I don't, in a court of law, yes, no, I don't know. But in, in the courtroom block, which is basically what only really matters, they would have all ruled in favor of this guy who got his car towed because you had an agreement and then halfway through, you can't, that's why you have agreements. It technically is a verbal contract, especially because you specified the time and, and place and all that stuff. So this guy is probably owed something, but I just mean that like you're not absolutely not wrong at all. And I think a lot of, a lot of America's heroes would have uh, agreed with you. Uh, speaking of America's heroes, you still got that mustache going, huh? No, I still got the bottom no. in here. No, it's not just the mustache anymore. Oh, okay. All right. You're getting into Pirates of the Caribbean phase right now? Don't think we needed to go there, but I just, <laughs> hey, I've got a, it's a little patchy down here. It's just taking a little while to come in and I'm trying to look at it. Maybe there's an angle I could get it all in. 
but um, I think it looks good. It makes me scared. Some lighting things. Don't okay. you usually have it. the goatee? Isn't that the usual Kyle goatee? It's, the whole, right? it's all not... connected. It doesn't like you know. It doesn't all all connect yeah. the way I'd like, but it's all connected. Yeah. All right, here we go. Another one. Uh, pretty simple. I hate working. Thirty years old, six feet, one eighty, two twenty-five squat, squat, one forty-five bench. One time, someone said, "Really?" When I put the <laughs> fives on, and I responded, "You'll get there someday." That's good. That's that's good gym humor. I work as an insurance broker and I like my job fine. Everyone at the office is fairly nice. The conditions are fine. My bosses are chill and I make decent money. I like being at my job. Here's the thing though. I kind of hate working. I hate going to work and I mostly hate how exhausted I am when I'm coming home. And it seems to take the whole day. (laughs) A lot of work. Generally. A lot of work is most of the day. You know, (laughs) getting up, going, going there, doing it. And then leaving, going home. It's just a lot of the jobs out there, unfortunately, fall in that category. Of, this is going to take up most of my day. Although the weird thing is, if you can do some of the insurance stuff that I've been the privy to, again, the one the one time I had like sort of a corporate job, but it wasn't really a corporate job when I was an insurance consultant for a few months, but I actually should not have had the job. The whole reason I wanted to do it was I was like, wait, I could see what these other guys did. I was like, once you build out, build out your book of business, I was like, this is fucking easy. Now, I knew long term it wasn't what I was going to do. But in the meantime, it's probably better it didn't work out because I could just see their lifestyle. And I was like, oh, so you guys just kind of build out your book and then it just renews on its own. And you're just going to make sure the renewals stay. It's like you don't actually do anything because we weren't even things. selling. Yeah, we weren't even selling policies. We were going to become the consultant where all we would do is make 4% of whatever their payment was. So it was a joke. Like all it was was get as many people to sign this piece of paper and name their consultant. And then once you became their consultant, nobody ever fucking called you anyway. Yeah. It was the weirdest thing. Anyway, I think those guys sold that company for millions. And I was there at the ground floor, but I was, I was let go because they don't want you to be an insurance consultant when you've never worked in insurance before, which is a fucking weird rule. <laughs> It's like being a bartender. <laughs> yeah, it's tough, man. Really tough. <laughs> uh, all right. So this guy hates it. It's taking up a lot of the day. I mostly hate how exhausted I am. I'm in danger of slipping back down to 135 because I've been lifting less due to just being wiped out from work. That's a good reason to quit a job. Whenever I express these things to my bosses, they say, that's growing up. We're so proud. of. Wait, you tell them you hate this? <laughs> and they said, that's growing up. <laughs> yeah. We're so proud of you, quote. <laughs> I think that's what they miss. They think they missed the whole point of what I'm saying. Although to be fair to them, what are they going to do? Pay me, but let me work less. I'm in a happy marriage. We're going to have kids soon. So I do need to be making money. But every day I drive home, I feel a little less alive inside. Any advice? Well, I don't know. I can't tell if you're motivated or lazy. It sounds like you're lazy. But is it the job? Is it not you? I don't know the answers to these things. I can tell you that when I when I finally absolutely needed to change, it's when I felt at my worst. And I would say, you know, most of us have our Ray Dalio world economic charts where you're like, hey, I'm on the rise. And it's like, okay, no, Rosillo's 2002 is here. It's, it's 2000 isn't great also. You know, and so like when I would go into bartend, I would have a, I would have a pit in my stomach, a pit that hurt. My stomach hurt on the inside and it went on for, I don't know, a year seems long, but longer than six months, I would take the turn down the street. I would go down the stairwell. I would open the door and I would walk in and I would feel awful, awful. Like my stomach hurt. 
And I kind of knew at that point was like, all right, well, this can't continue. And honestly, what was what that what that was 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 the best thing that ever happened to me is that whatever I was doing just wasn't enough. And that I think that when you're at that point, if you're feeling that way, that can actually be a great thing because it's kind of your point of like something needs to change. But the problem we all have uh, is that we all want those things to change as soon as we possibly can. So I'd ask you this. Okay, so you hate it. You hate this job. Do you hate all jobs? Do you hate work in general? Um, Because that's a problem. But is it just this job where you feel like you're putting in, I don't know how you're exhausted after being an insurance broker all day, but I guess maybe it's just exhausting mentally or whatever. That's fine. But I would, I would use this feeling that you have and hopefully use it to motivate you to plant seeds for the next things that you want. Like ask yourself real questions. I mean, this applies to almost everybody that's in these spots because we all have our ups and downs, but you have to ask yourself, okay, like how much longer can I do this? There's also times too where you could be like, hey, you know what? I actually don't have it that bad. And that's usually when you start talking about a wife, a mortgage, and some kids. You go, you know what? This isn't all that bad. And in five years, maybe I'll be here or whatever. And you start doing some different math in your head. But if this is truly making you like physically and emotionally exhausted to the point where you can't stand it anymore, use that to go, okay, that means in one year, two years, three years, I need to be here. I need to start thinking about these other things. But because those things take so much longer, like I ran into somebody not that long ago that was asking me about getting into media. And I said, well, what have, what have you tried to do? You know, and it bums me out that I don't have an answer that's going to solve everybody's problems because I know what it's like when I was going to ask people and then you're kind of disappointed, but that's the reality of it. It's like, I could give you some advice. I can't get you a fucking job, man. Um, especially when you're a place like ESPN or or Spotify. It's like, you know, this is not the entry level angle here. So I'd ask somebody and be like, well, did you do this? And be like, yeah. And be like, okay. But when they said no, what did you do? And the person would just be like, well, that was it. I'm like, okay, that was your first mistake. You know, have them say no to you five, six, seven times. You may not even work there. So why do you give a shit? So for anybody that is truly unhappy about where they're working, I would say that's a good sign that you're actually getting emotional enough about how you feel to eventually want it to change or you find a way to kind of process it and accept it. And then once you can truly be honest with yourself, go like, Hey, you know what? Actually, maybe I don't have it that bad. And you know, all these different things that you should do that you get probably a little bit better as you get older, just cause you've been around a little while. But if this is the way you feel, then start asking yourself real questions about like, okay, where would you actually want to be? What would you actually want to be doing? You're only 30 years old. You don't have the kids on the way yet. You know, I don't know what your timeline and plan is for all the family stuff and all that kind of stuff, but, you know, working at a job for your entire life that you hate, unfortunately common to me was like a non-starter. It just couldn't happen. And I think, I think whatever, whatever place you're at mentally with it, ask yourself questions about what it would be that would make you feel better, what other avenues and start planning. Start planning that shit out while you lucky while you're lucky enough to have a job, even though you hate it. Just in case it is this simple, I don't like working either, dude. In case it is that simple, because he said, I like my job fine. I just don't like how working makes me feel, is what I and I'm feeling the same way. Every time I take a vacation, the last couple of years, I've talking it, I've taken it to Poughkeepsie, New York, because it's the greatest place in the world. And every time I'm like, I wish I didn't have to go back. I could do this for another two weeks. I usually take two weeks, took three weeks this year. Every time, like, I could do this for another three weeks. Um, I wish I had time to just do literally whatever I want. That's just, I mean, this is life. That's all. Like, I th- it sounds like his job is fine. Most jobs are basically either require a lot of brain power. And when you check, when you clock out, quote unquote, you're actually not off. 
or you can, or it, you know, it's a lot of demanding physical labor. And when you do check out your, your body's exhausted. I just think that's, if you got to work a regular job and you're don't have a huge inheritance and don't, you know, I think this is just how it is for most things. So, uh, it sounded like in his email, there was a caveat that he was like, I like my job fine. I just think he, I think it's normal to just be like, man, I wish I just was one of those people that didn't have to do anything they didn't want to do. So, um, yeah, just maximize your free time, your fun time and, and enjoy that uh, all the more, I think. But I feel like it's an incomplete email because he we don't know, like he didn't say that he wants to do anything else. He just doesn't like working. Right. Like, yeah, at some yeah, point same, you have dude. to fill up. You have to. Yeah. But you Kyle, you have to fill your day up with something like if you. Oh, I, I got think it. When I was a kid. No, no. When I, like when I was in you know college or whatever, like early in my time at ESPN, you know, I'd be like, oh, yeah, if I didn't have like a, if I won the lottery tomorrow, like I would just sit at home and play FIFA all day and I, I, I wouldn't need a, I wouldn't need anything to do. And I think the older that I've gotten, I'm like, I would be so fucking bored out of my mind. Now, that doesn't mean that I have to that you have to like, hey, take some shitty job and just work it because that's what you do. Obviously, find what you want to do and what you like. But you have to you kind of I think I think for mental like sanity, you have to fill your day up with stuff that like stimulates you and you know, doesn't always isn't always just like entertaining to you, but at least like gets you in the go- going in the right direction or at least is like stimulating your brain cells to some degree. So I don't know. He, he just he didn't say that he wanted to do anything else. I, I want to know, like, does he want to change careers? Does he you know, maybe he needs a, a couple hobbies or something. I don't I don't he needs something else, I think, in life to get his life just kind of feels dull and, and, and boring right now. And I don't know like what else he's filling you with except this shitty job he doesn't like, because if that's all you have, if all you have is this job, you go to work from nine to five and you go home and you come home, and you watch Netflix and you hang out with your significant other. Like you need other shit in your life. Otherwise, the only thing that you're doing every day is waking up to something you don't like to do. So find something you like to do that also kind of goes with the shitty part that is your job. Um, you know, it's probably hard to change your career, you know, drastically at this point, especially right before you have a kid. It's not impossible, but like, I think small steps, like find stuff that you want to do on a consistent basis, do it consistently. And I think your life will be happier in that way. Nothing else to add. That's life advice. Thank you to Saruti. Thanks to Kyle, as always. Uh, please subscribe. Rate review. We'll be back on Wednesday. Ryan Russell Podcast, Ringer Spotify. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.